Good morning. Good morning. Nice to see you. Caroline, welcome. Good to see you again. All of you. It's good to be here together on this beautiful Mandala Day morning. It's been such an amazing spring. There are times, I think, in one's life where, for one reason or another, maybe in spite of the chaos going on around one, it just seems as though everything is flowering. Everyone is manifesting this glorious light. Wherever one looks, of course, don't look too far. When we think there's near and far, we get into trouble. But I was reflecting on this since I was composing something for the newsletter for Zen Studies Society and looking at how everything began the end of March with the ordinations everything began referring to spring not the beginning of the world which is of course this spring none other than this spring. But anyway, the ordinations at Daibasatsu Zendo when Kese opened and our own dear Kimpu, Jonathan Swan and Myoho, Brenda Miller both were given ordination and vowed to serve all beings. Coming as it did at that time, I think it really opened something that has just been building and building, not only at the monastery, but here as well, New York City as well, right? Koge, some of you may not know, is president of the Zen Study Society and resident monastic at New York Zendo. And so we're very happy she could be here to join us today. Holy Days session was indeed a time of rejoicing in Buddha's birth, in all of the people who are practicing together from here, from Daibasatsu, from New York Sendo, Master Rinzai leading the way with his commemorative day. And then we had a day's sitting here at Hoenji, realizing perhaps we couldn't do three days when everyone was busy with Easter and just that one day, as Hakuin Zenji says, just one sitting and all your harmful karma is erased. To see every moment as 
this one sitting makes a huge difference in our lives. To know how rare and precious this is and how transitory this moment we call our lives is. And then I went to Dartmouth and some of you were here for the talk that Julio and I gave about that amazing conference on consciousness, mind, emptiness from astrophysicist's point of view, from a phenomenologist's point of view, from someone who looks at neuroscience and the mind's point of view, and my own non-view of emptiness. And then it seemed as though there were very few days in between all these things and what days were there that didn't have something scheduled were days of just appreciation started back at Dabasatsu Zendo for a week before session Yogan Senzaki session 39 people really quite a wonderful time and I'm so glad that seven of us were here for that were there for that <laughs> and the rest of you were also there for that and here for that <laughs> ending with the Jukai ceremony and Cho En is here serene garden so I got back from DBZ Sunday evening and then began another retreat this one for interfaith works roundtable leaders faith leaders we met at Christ the King Retreat House. It was a little bit different from the monastery in terms of the iconography, but indeed just the continual flow of the same concerns. How do we come to realize this matter in whatever tradition we are practicing? How do we help our community, specifically at this time, the work of the Interfaith Works Roundtable of Faith Leaders is particularly concerned about refugees and immigrants. So we spent two days in which we really opened our hearts to each other and shared readings and shared silence and shared a lot of conversation and then came together in a kind of planning way so that the fruit of our retreat could be realized in 
the daily lives of our community, the ordinary mind of this community. Never separating for a moment the reflective concern, the deep wisdom and compassion that each one of us was touching and touching in each other. Never separating that from the needs of those around us what we call daily life. Among the readings people brought uh, was one that I shared from a book that some of you may remember many years ago. It came out in the early 80s called Pure Heart, Enlightened Mind, the Zen Journal and Letters of Mora Soshin O'Halloran. And those of you who do remember it also probably know that she trained for three years in a Japanese temple very vigorously with uh, incredible diligence and dedication and had a deep awakening and many small awakenings and was revered by her fellow practitioners, by the Roshi, of the temple and decided that she would go back to Ireland to do work in social justice areas. And then um, on her way back, she met her brother in Thailand for a little uh, vacation and was killed in a bus accident. She was, um, I think, 27 when she died. And a year before that, she wrote in her journal something that I shared, as I said, with the other faith leaders, but I'd like to share with you as well. Of late, I feel ridiculously happy. No reason, just bursting with joy. I remember when I was young deciding to commit suicide at 26. Once one hit 30, one was over the hill. So 26 was far enough to live. I reckoned that if I hadn't got done by then, whatever there was to be done, I never would, so I might as well end it. Now I'm 26, and I feel as if I've lived my life. Strange sensation, almost as if I'm close to death. Any desires, ambitions, hopes I may have had have either been fulfilled or spontaneously dissipated. I'm totally content. Of course, I want to get deeper, see clearer, but even if I could only have this paltry, shallow awakening, I'd be quite satisfied. Facing into a long, cold winter is not only fine, but I know I'll enjoy it. Everything seems wonderful. Even undesirable, painful conditions have a poignant beauty and exaltation. So in a sense, I feel I have died. For myself, there is nothing else to strive after, nothing more to make my life worthwhile or to justify it. At 26, a living corpse 
and such a life. I'd be embarrassed to tell anyone it sounds so wishy-washy, but now I have maybe 50 or 60 years, who knows, of time, of a life, open, blank, ready to offer. I want to live it for other people. Who else is there? What else is there to do with it? Not that I expect to change the world or even a blade of grass, but it's as if to give myself is all I can do, as the flowers have no choice but to blossom. At the moment, the best I can see to do is to give to people this freedom, this bliss, and how better than through Zazen. So I must go deeper and deeper and work hard. No longer for me, but for everyone I can help. And still, I can't save anyone. They must work themselves, and not everyone will. Thus, I should also work politically, work to make people's surroundings that much more tolerable, work for a society that fosters more spiritual, more human values, a society for people, not profits. So sorely needed is this reflection in our time to go back to it with deep appreciation. And this book was put out posthumously by my dear friend Diane Benage. And after reading it again, and after reading uh, at Dabasatsu some passages from Zen Seeds. Some of you know that book by Ayama Roshi. I also, by the way, also translated and put out by Diane Benaj Roshi. I contacted her and said, it's been a while since we've seen each other. How are you? She's now retired mostly from teaching. And she wrote back a long letter and was so happy that we were in touch. And it turns out that she's the invited teacher for a special opening of a Zen center in um, Narrowsburg, New York, about an hour and a half near uh, away from Thagasatsu Zendo. So today, one or two people from DBZ are attending that opening and meeting Diane Benage. Thank you. Mandala Day, indeed. And we were 21 people at that Interfaith Works mm -hmm. retreat. So I told them a little bit about Mandala Day happening on the 21st and how that's a special number and that they were all in the mandala, whether they were Catholic or Protestant or Mohammed, you know, uh, two people named Mohammed, so <laughs> Islam. One was the most amazing man. He's the new imam at the mosque here in town. Wonderful guy.
So I came back from that retreat and a film that Andy and I had wanted to see, but like most films we want to see, they if they come to Syracuse at all, they're only here for a week, and I'm at Daibusatsu that week. It's called Patterson. Anybody here has seen Patterson? What an amazing film. Nansen Zenji told Joshu, ordinary mind is the way. This film is absolutely the most remarkable illustration of that. I spoke about it a little bit last night at a gathering. It's by Jim Jarmusch, the director, the filmmaker. And it's about a young couple. It's about their love. It's about their creativity. And absolutely the most ordinary, day in, day out, extraordinary interactions. So he's a bus driver who's a poet. As some of you know, Patterson was the home and place of um, where he lived of the poet William Carlos Williams who wrote about ordinary life. And this poet who drove a bus did the same. And it was so unusual. This film was so unusual because there was no strategy. There was no hidden agenda. There was not a shred of meanness in it whatsoever. Just, wouldn't you say, Jika, just love loving-kindness throughout the entire film people must have thought oh this is going to be so boring you know nobody's having an argument nobody well maybe about the chess money <laughs> the bartender had taken his wife's little cash so that he could join a chess tournament but really these people and this existence of just appreciating every moment of one's life and poetry that expresses it in the most ordinary way. Nothing pretentious, nothing portentous. Just, this is it. Here it is. And I love you. And it ends with a Japanese tourist who has come to Patterson from Osaka. Why? Because he loves William Carlos Williams. And the two of them are sitting on a bench watching the waterfall. It's quite something. So I think we'll show it. Daigon, will, will you be able to get the film night scheduled again for Patterson? Great. Then, after seeing Patterson the next day, I met with an old friend who sat with me many, many years ago when the Zendo was in my attic, and maybe even before that when it was on campus. He was a playwright who was one of the early environmental activists in this central New York area. 
and then went on to seemingly leave the art world for a position in the development world at Syracuse University and became a vice president for institutional advancement, very high up. And then was struck by a very, very, what shall we say, uh, challenging kind of leukemia. Basically was told, you will be dead soon. But eventually, using uh, an extremely painful kind of chemotherapy, uh, he managed to go into remission. So all during the time that he was going through the, the very difficult struggles, whenever I was in town I would visit him. We usually managed to spend about an hour once a week just sitting, talking a little bit, reading. And as I say, he has gone into remission and is really doing well. So we agreed to meet for lunch Friday because he wanted to talk about deepening his meditation. And as we talked, I thought, wow, you can't get much more deep, deeper, you can't get deeper than you are. He said some things that I thought were so wonderful. He said, you know, working in institutional advancement, we are always in very uncertain, always facing very uncertain outcomes. We really can't control whether somebody's going to give money or not, what the economic vicissitudes will be, whether the approach we are using is going to work or not. We can do our best, but we still have so much that is not under our control, and we never know. All we can do, all we can control, and this is, he said, what I would tell everybody all the time, and whenever it got to the point that whenever anyone saw him, they would repeat this. He said, all we control, all we can control, is how we treat each other. How we treat each other. It seems like such a simple thing. How is it that we don't use this as our mantra all the time, day in, day out? Maybe because we listen to the news or watch it on TV? How we treat each other. Again, what we need now more than ever is this mantra. He said, it's the best predictor of happiness in the work environment. And of course it's the same with relationships. Of course it's the same in a monastery or in a Zen center. How we treat each other. There are so many subtle ramifications of this. This relationship that I spoke of in Patterson between the young man who was the bus driver and his girlfriend, 
was exactly expressive of treating each other with love and respect no matter what. Didn't understand why somebody wanted to do something? Okay, try to figure it out within yourself. Don't say, oh, come on, you don't need to do that. Oh, maybe, maybe you do need to do that. Maybe I'm just a little slow on the uptake here. Doing it all inside without ever saying a word that's negative. Turning it. And, okay, yeah, that's going to be great. Just such an amazing thing. And maybe it's the hardest thing to do for many of us. To have that kind of loving encouragement no matter what. Surrounded by everything that seems to go so antithetically in the other direction. But when we really look at life from the point of view of all we can control is how we treat each other. The ripple effect of this is exactly what we mean by living by the bodhisattva vow, isn't it? There's not some kind of elevated, you know, theoretical, uh, highfalutin ideal there. It's just how we treat each other, day in, day out, stopping ourselves before we speak ill of another, and realizing that doing that has profound implications for this suffering world. So this is... Uh, really important recognition and something to take to heart, I think, for us all. What is our Zazen practice but the feeling that no matter how our own difficulties old stories, baggage from eons and eons, uh, kalpas and kalpas, no matter how we may be struggling within ourselves, how we treat each other means how we treat ourselves as well. To have compassion for the ways in which we feel anger, all the negative emotions, have compassion before we lash out at another, realizing that we are thrashing ourselves, that this anger is directed within us because that's what we remember. That's what we have come to feel is our identity. This pain that many people are struggling with is misunderstood as being who we are. Therefore, how we are. Therefore, people think they're entitled to throw it out there. So just to see how we treat ourselves. There's no gap between self and other. When we understand that, then we understand this compassionate mind, this pure heart, enlightened mind, as Diane Benage titled the journal and letters of Soshino Halloran. This is true for each one of us. 
And all we have to do is be true to this, this, this true self. So, thank you.